Yeah. <clears throat> good morning. Hey, TJ. Uh, good to see you. It's good to see the rest of you, too. <laughs> uh, I am a little messy here. Sorry. Uh, wow, what a week. It's been a long week. Good week, though. Um, and I'm a little lost. I was going to say something, and I forget what I was going to say. Uh, let me pray for us as we get started. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you are here, that you are present, that all those words and those songs are just, they're uplifting to us. We want to return the favor. You've blessed us with so much, we want to bless you this morning. We want to bless you with uh, our attentiveness, our, our, our desire to understand you, to know you, our worship. And we pray that your spirit would speak in a unique, unique way to every single person in this room this morning. Come, Holy Spirit, and make yourself known. You know, we were reading these stories about people that you led and had said yes to you, and we want to do the same. We want to hear you. We want to say yes to you. We want to follow your lead. We want the adventure of faith. So move in us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, I was thinking like, I think, I think Mary should wake Vinny up with that song every morning, just in his ear, like, oh, <laughs> Mary's not a morning. Okay. <laughs> All right. Maybe you should sing him to sleep like that. Just that crescendo. Ah! He may not get to sleep. So, uh, question. Anybody brave? Anybody brave to recite the memory verse? Oh, come on now. You got All right, come on up, dude. Amen. See, see you just you just saved me from embarrassment. Right? You were kind to me because I stand up here every Sunday and I ask, is somebody willing? Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And I didn't memorize the last like four words. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. There you go. I, I did not whisper to him at all. No. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. We're doing that just to sort of uh, urge ourselves to get into the word and store it in our hearts and things like that. So, um, amen. I met Emily this morning. Yeah, there's Emily. And Tyler for the second time. I'm trying to remember names, right? So, anyway, you didn't expect that, I know. You don't come to church and expect to be called out your first day there. You can handle it, though. You seem like a very confident woman. But, um, but today we're going to be looking at Joseph. Uh, the, the, the guy that Jen's kid didn't remember, Joseph, the sort of surrogate father of Jesus, exploring largely this largely sort of silent figure, uh, the silent character and his contribution to the Christmas story. Um, if you're a dad, fatherhood can <laughs> sometimes seem like a thankless job, right? Um, dads are often in the background, right? We're, we're sort of a, the family's silent, stable force in a way, uh, 
as, as a quiet guy, my dad is like sort of this stable foundation for our family. Although everything he does for our family, extended family and immediate family as well, uh, isn't always noticeable, right? There's so much that my dad does that we don't really notice. Fathers are like the background music of life, right? So uh, you're not always aware of it until it's, until it's gone, until it stops, you ever, if you've ever watched a movie without the soundtrack in the background, it's pretty, pretty boring, right? It's pretty boring to watch. Um, you know, we all know that there are statues of Mary on every, you know, Italian Catholic lawn, you know, in New Jersey, in North Jersey, right? But we've never seen a statue to Joseph, nada, not, not a one, right? Never, never, ever do we see that. The only time we see Joseph is in the little, what do they call it? The, yeah, that thing, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to repeat that word because I'm not sure if I heard it right. Anyway, um, but <laughs> so he's sort of like the guy that gets a touchdown in the end zone and turns to the camera and says, hi, mom, right on the camera, but never hi, dad. No matter what dad does for you, you never, you never say hi, dad. And although we know a little, uh, very little about Joseph in a sense, what, what we do know seems to reveal a humble, obedient man willing to sacrifice for his family and to play his willing part in the Christmas story, in the story of God, the, the story that God was unfolding, right? And um, fathers say yes to their calling. They don't really u- usually have it. I guess they do have a choice, right? But, but good fathers say yes to their calling, right? Joseph was that sort of a guy, he said yes to his calling. He found peace in a sense of saying yes to the Holy Spirit's leading in his life, no matter how difficult that was for him. In Luke, in the, in the book of Luke, um, Joseph's only mentioned uh, as a background note. When the census uh, was, was called, it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Joseph also went up, uh, up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And we know that Scripture uh, tells us that the Messiah was prophesied to come from the line of David. Um, When the shepherds uh, come to worship Jesus in that part of the story, Joseph's mentioned there in that scene in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus was to be consecrated at the temple uh, to the Lord, Joseph made sure that that happened. We see that also in Luke chapter 2. When everything um, had been taken care of, all the little, you know, the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted and all that stuff, Joseph brings Jesus back uh, to raise him as his own, even though he really wasn't the father, right? And and, and we see that in doing what was needed or what, what was needed to be done, Joseph reflects, in a sense, the fatherhood of God. The fatherhood of God, always in the background, always taking care of details, right? Always in the background, always taking care of details. And I think we should uh, celebrate maleness, celebrate the fatherhood uh, found in people such as Joseph. Uh, And we do that exactly because it reflects God. There is a, a drive in many circles to get rid of this male pronoun uh, for talking about God, I would never do that. You will never hear that from me because Jesus used the male pronoun for God and it's good enough for Jesus, good enough for me. And God, there is a maleness about God that needs to be celebrated. Um, we guys are getting a bad rap these days. We need to redeem that a little bit, right? That's my little spiel. Anyway, but <laughs> I remember when each of my children 
were born in Indonesia. Three of my children were born in, 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 in uh, Java and then one in Sumatra, actually. Um, I would gather documents, you know. I would gather all the documents together and I would drive the 10 hours to Jakarta, you know, over the Sunda Straits on a ferry, part of the, part of the trip was. And I'd stand in line at the heavily barricaded U.S. Embassy going through all the stuff so nobody could drive a bomb into the embassy, right? And uh, I would get their birth certificates done, um, Kim would be with me. She'd be managing the kids someplace as I went through all the, the hoopla and all that stuff. When it came time to come home to America, uh, I'd get travel plans together. I'd buy the tickets. I'd tote my young family <laughs> through the immigration process, you know, in reverse and get to air, you know, go through airports and get them into taxis to get them back to Philadelphia safely. It was always like a welcome sight to see the, the Newark cops whenever you showed up at the Newark airport. There are, if you've never seen a Newark cop, their guns like hang off their side and they're, they have rumpled hats and they're all untucked. They just don't take care of themselves. And they scream. They never talk. They scream. And, and when you hear them screaming like, get in line, blah, blah, you're like, oh, thank God I'm home. You know, <laughs> somebody's being rude to me. I feel so good, right? It was just so strange. But, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. But fatherhood is a responsibility, isn't it? We all know that. And p- people rely on you as a father. Um, lives don't reach their potential unless you advocate for and you, you, uh, you work for somebody's benefit. Um, it's kind of cool being a father. Uh, last week, this past Sunday, I became... <laughs> Sorry. My kids always call me a crybaby. I am. I became a temporary surrogate father to two Central American kids. Um, I've deloused them twice <laughs> this week. I've driven them back and forth to school. I've learned about diabetes on a, like, on a whim. Uh, I've taken one to the ER already. Been there until 2 o'clock in the morning. I cook breakfast for them every morning. <laughs> I bought presents I've shopped for clothing, and I don't like shopping for clothing. It's like one of my least things, you know, favorite things to do. I feel very out of place. I, uh, I've learned more Spanish. I've eaten more Spanish food, or uh, you know, I've, I've listened to more Spanish Christmas music <laughs> than in, in a lifetime, right? Um, all this stuff I've done in, in this week, and, and it's not totally thankless. I'll tell you that. I got this beautiful little uh, bracelet that the little girl made for me. She's 10 years old. Um, she snuggled with me on the couch yesterday. It was so nice. Uh, sorry. I don't know why I'm so emotional. It's been a long week. <laughs> um, but I'm designated protector for this time being. During this time of their lives, I am designated protector um, for little Luis and little Marahi. And, and, and they certainly don't understand all that's being done on their behalf. They don't understand that. Um, as we, I think, don't understand all that God does on our behalf, right? We really don't. Good fathers fight and struggle for their families. So let's look a little bit more closely uh, at Joseph's struggle for his. In in Matthew chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Joseph's mentioned in the genealogy of Christ. 
right? All these small vignettes, all these small sort of um, uh, factoids of Joseph uh, serve to reveal a man who, uh, although silent, largely silent in, in, in the whole story, was vital, he was a vital part of God's plan, right? He was there, he was, he was a part of it. He's an image of God the Father in that way. He's quiet, he's in the background fighting for his family, so to speak. And Matthew gives us a little bit more information than Luke does, which rounds out our picture of Joseph and, uh, and his fatherly love for his, you know, his wife and, and uh, his new son, in a sense, right? He's an image of a father protecting his family in the face of, I think, what would have been intense communal pressure, Right? Matthew 1 states that before they were able to consummate their marriage, and everybody knows what consummate means, right? <laughs> right? You all know that, right? Didn't want to say the real word. Um, but, uh, when they, but before they were able to consummate their marriage, that she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit, right? Um, nobody's going to believe that, right? And Joseph was devout, he was faithful to the law of God, it says. And like Simeon, we saw last week, he was a devout and faithful dude. He was a righteous guy, right? Yet he was also kind in the sense that he, he didn't want to disgrace Mary publicly. It was very kind of him to do this. I mean, way kind. So he decided to divorce her quietly, right? Now, turn to page 657 in your church Bibles there. This is Matthew chapter 1. First chapter in the New Testament, by the way, um, page 657, and we are looking at uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 25, Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 25, where it says this, but after he had considered this, in other words, after he had considered divorce, right, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid, Take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, if you are, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin Mary will, uh, the virgin, uh, will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Um, verse 24, when Joseph woke up, He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, I think that like Jesus, you know, in reflecting Jesus, Joseph willingly takes on his family's shame before the world, right? Joseph had a very clear choice to make. He could have uh, quietly divorced her. He could have walked out of this. He could, have, he could have quietly divorced her, which would have kept all of the disgrace on Mary, and he would have been free from it. He could have saved face. He could have made that choice. But he chose to believe this message and be obedient to this message and, and to share in the disgrace along with Mary. I think that's a big deal. And Joseph had to believe this crazy outlandish thing that this, this child was something special to do that. He actually had to have a great deal of faith to do that, right? So, so he'd, given him, he'd 
gave him the name Jesus, the Greek form of Joshua, which, which means that the Lord saves or salvation or Jehovah is salvation. It's, it's just a rich, pregnant name, right? And, and, and think of the spiritual like fortitude, the strength of this guy to, to do this, right? The situation reminds me of being in an Indonesian village, right? When you're in, you're like, not a thing gets by you in a small Muslim village in Indonesia. Like, everybody's business is on full display all the time. There are no secrets in a small, tight-knit community. And the same would be true here. Joseph will forever be known in his circles there, right, as the guy who married the girl who slept around on him. That's what he'll be known as. In a, in a highly moralistic religious society, that's what he's going to be known as. And so like Jesus, Joseph says yes to God, and he fulfills biblical prophecy when he does so, right? He, when Herod was on the warpath to find this, this uh, Messiah and destroy him because he was afraid of this king of the Jews, we talked about that last week, Joseph steps in to protect as an angel appears to him in another dream, directing him to take the mom and the, and, the, and the child and escape to Egypt and to stay there until he's further directed. So he, he gets this other message and he's, and he's going to stay there and he does that and, and he fulfills this prophecy that says, out of Egypt I will call my son. Right? And that's uh, Matthew chapter 2. And after that, after, after, after that, that, uh, that time, that threat had passed, when Herod, you know, Joseph, uh, Joseph was obedient to yet a third message. Again, he gets another one, which came after Herod had died and, uh, in, in another dream. And, and he's redirected, he's told to go to Israel, and then he's redirected to go to Galilee, which leads him to Nazareth, which fulfills another prophecy of the Messiah that he would be called a Nazarene, right? God's story's unfolding. It's happening. And Joseph is one who accepts the invitation to be a part of this story, a part of God's narrative. And he says yes at every turn. He's obedient, right? No matter how crazy it seems, no matter how, how much difficulty it brings him, he seems to have peace reflecting this faith and obedience and, and, and facing adversity no matter what. That's a pretty cool guy, right? So you consider this young man. He's probably a teenager, right? A young man betrothed to this teenage girl he probably loved, he probably wanted to marry. He's living in a small village where even the most mundane news travels by lunchtime, right? His fiancée's pregnant, and that news definitely traveled very fast, right? As soon as everybody finds out. You know, how would he have felt? How would he have felt? Guys, we guys, we feel shame quite deeply, the torment he must have felt before the angel had visited him the first time, before he got this message, thoughts of her infidelity flooding his mind. I couldn't imagine, and not that it would ever happen, my wife cheating on me. I just couldn't imagine that, right? The thoughts of, of her infidelity, like who, who was it? Like he's running, it's running through his mind. Who, uh, you know, who... Who did she cheat on me with in this town, right? Before he, gives, he, before he receives this direction. Wouldn't you have felt shame? I would have. It's a big deal. That's high emotion, right? I watched a show once where in a moment of weakness, a wife smooched on the neighbor next door. And when the husband 
found out, he promptly marched next door and punched the guy's lights out, right? Um, I don't know. Maybe many of us would do that, right? Jealousy is a powerful thing. Jealousy is very powerful. But it isn't necessarily bad. Just, jealousy is not bad. It might lead us to do some bad things. But we have to understand that jealousy originates in love. It originates in love. It's a sign that we love deeply. When I get jealous, it's a sign that I love my wife deeply. God's jealous of us in the same way. When the husband in my TV show um, came back inside, his wife was actually really happy that he had punched out the neighbor, right? Um, you kind of see her kind of smiling like she was like, Woof. you know, like it showed her how much he cared since he normally was very quiet and non-emotional, but that didn't mean he didn't love her, right? Joseph was going to divorce Mary. He was going to divorce, and that that emotion would have dictated that response, right? And his jealousy would have been a sign of love. It would have been a sign of love. This is a real story. You've got to understand this. It's not just some little crutch, crutch, whatever, what do you call it? Crutch, thank you. It's not this little scene, this little thing on on a shelf. These are real people, right? Real people going through real difficulties, experiencing real emotion, right? And like Jesus, Joseph's willing to suffer on behalf of others, right? He's willing to suffer on behalf of others. Imagine the shame his family would have felt, right? The weight he bore of this out-of-wedlock pregnancy, you know? Just, you know, then he's confronted in this dream, you know, by this angel, and he does an about-face to protect his bride, right? And he's, he's sort of a fish against the flow. He's swimming against the flow. He's fighting the wisdom of a whole town. He's fighting the wisdom of all the elders in his town, right? Probably. He's, he's, he's just, like, people are... It's probably telling him, divorce her, get rid of her, right? Arguing for his bride on behalf of his wife, he must have felt like he was taking on a world, a whole world in a society where decisions are made by tradition and a strict moral code. He's out of, he's out of bounds, so to speak. And so Joseph shares in the shame, fighting for this, his wife and this child. Joseph said yes to the Holy Spirit, and he found peace in that difficulty. The male head, hold, head of a household would have been sufficient to go and report for the census in Rome. He didn't have to take Mary. He didn't have to bring her along. So it, the, the, it begs the question, did he take Mary along to, to birth the, the, the child in Bethlehem away from all the judgmental stares of all the people around her? Probably, which would have been another act of fatherly love and protection. They were poor. Wealth would have found a room in, that, that, that in, in Bethlehem that night, right? They, they gave the most meager of sacrifices when they consecrated Jesus. Imagine the cold night air in this, whatever they were in, you know, stable, cave, whatever, whatever it was. It wasn't good. You know, the stench, the, the unsanitary conditions. Imagine how a young family would feel, a young couple would feel, the fear that they would feel giving birth to their first child in the midst of such conditions. Life wasn't great for Joseph and Mary. It wasn't really super comfortable. In contrast, Elizabeth's you know, pregnancy, her relative's pregnancy, was probably celebrated by the whole town. She's an old woman who's been barren for so long. Contrast that to the birth of Jesus in a stable with Joseph and his wife, shunned probably by everyone, everyone around them. 
Philip Yancey said this. I love this quote. Nine months of awkward explanations, the lingering scent of scandal. It seems that God arranged the most humiliating circumstances possible for his entrance as if to avoid any charge of favoritism. It's a great quote, isn't it? Jesus grew up under, under a questionable cloud of paternity, you know, a, a cloud of questionable paternity. He, he, you know, it, it was, it, that, and that cloud lingered over Joseph probably his whole life from then on, right? Think about how strongly his manhood would be called into question when he is like sheltering and protecting this young wife who was found to be miraculously pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Nobody's going to believe that story. Nobody. Joseph fought for his wife and child at the cost of his reputation and comfort in life. He really did. A lovingly jealous husband who cared for his wife and child well, so to speak. Models are important to us. They're important for us. And Joseph is one, right? In each model, we see something of the character of God reflected back to us. And Joseph's a reflection of God's jealous love towards us. He really is. Oprah Winfrey Uh, said one time that she had had it with Christianity, that she walked out on the church, walked away from Christianity when the preacher talked about God being a jealous God. As a matter of fact, the Scriptures even ascribe the name jealous to God. In Exodus chapter 13, or 34, verse 14, it says, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous, capital J, Name is jealous, is a jealous God. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24, it says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Oprah was looking at the tree and not the forest. She missed the the big picture. She missed the love. It's good that God is jealous. It's great. It communicates to me and to you how strong his love actually is for us. It's reassuring. He desires us greatly. He fights for us. Sin and death will not have the final say because God is a jealously loving God. You can say amen to that. (laughs) God is lovingly jealous, goes to any length to take on our shame and fight to have us back. He punched the neighbor's lights out, so to speak, when he went to the cross. Reflecting Jesus, Joseph redeems Mary and Jesus in a society, in in this local society, and he takes their shame away, so to speak. In Leviticus, there are prescriptions for Aaron in making atonement uh, for the sin of Israel um, before the Lord, right? In, In the temple. So turn, turn to page 79. This is a cool little passage. Page 79 in your church Bibles, Leviticus chapter 16, verses 7 through 10. It says this, page 79, Leviticus 16, verses 7 through 10. It says, then he is able to, t- then he is take, it- oh, gosh, I can't talk this morning. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. 
He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and one for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it out into the wilderness as a scapegoat. So one goat is sacrificed, it's killed, right? Um, as, as a sin offering, communicating to us that sin is so weighty that something's got to die in, its, in their place. Blood has to be shed. That's how weighty our sin is, right? Then the second goat is the, where we obviously get the term scapegoat, where the shame of our sin is placed on that, uh, upon that goat. It's, you know, we prayed on that goat, and they, play, they place that sin on it, and it's sent away into the wilderness, Away from us, out, never to be seen again, right? Both, both of these goats foreshadow the atoning work of Christ on the cross. It's a picture of how far God's willing to go for us. It just, it's this great image. He'll take our shame and he'll send it away. He'll pay for it and then he'll send it away. The God of the universe, the God of the universe embodied in Christ comes and, and, um, Incar- you know, incarnated in Christ, would die for his cheating spouse. Think about that. The God of the universe would die for his cheating spouse. Although she deserves to be on the cross and not him, he would die in her place. We don't normally forgive our cheating spouses, do we? We divorce them. We get rid of them. We don't care about them. God doesn't do that. Reflecting the fatherhood of God, Joseph protects and he does for the family what they can't do for themselves, right? You know, turn to Exodus chapter 14, page 48. Exodus 14, verses 10 through 14. This is a great image. This is a a picture of our God who's willing to fight for his people as the Israelites are being hunted down in the desert by uh, Pharaoh and his army. And, you know, they're defenseless and they're cornered. So Exodus 14, 10 through 14, starting in verse 10, it says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. You know, they don't, I mean, they're just kind of like totally vulnerable. And they're terrified, and they cry out to the Lord. And if you skip down to verse 13, uh, Moses says to them, Do not be afraid, right? Same command he gave to Joseph, right? the, Holy, the angel gave to Joseph. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You need only to be still. That's a picture of grace. That is an absolute picture of grace. Of our God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. An image of us cornered in our sin. And God is fighting for us. Sin's nipping at our heels. It's right there. It's a parasite eating us from the inside out. And and it's not something that we can do anything about. We can't crush it. We can't wash it off. We can't get rid of it. It's ingrained in us. Like there, there, there has to be a mess medicine of some sort to be ingested to neutralize its toxicity, right? It's got, it's got to be taken care of, but we can't do it. 
And God provides that by coming into the world at Christmas, by incarnating in the person of Christ at Christmas. He fights for us, not only in physical ways, like he did for Israel in this passage, but in the area of our sin. Internally, he frees us. It's a big deal. We know the ending of that story, right? We know the ending of the story. The army is destroyed as Pharaoh you know, tries to cross that dry seedbed. Israel gets through, and then the waters come crashing down on them, and they, not one of them is, uh, is, is left. They're all gone, never to be seen again, just like he promised. I have a friend named Sherry. You wouldn't know her. Um, growing up every night uh, as a young girl, her teenage years, uh, was an absolute nightmare. Sherry, um, her two older brothers, would come into her room every night and violently have their way with her. Violently. Every single night. And even when she chained her door shut, they, this is so evil, they would climb up to the second floor window and come through her window to get to her. Sherry's family didn't go to church. They didn't know Christ. She somehow stumbled onto a youth group and, and she went, she heard the gospel the first night there. She gave her life to the, to the Lord that night. She came home, chained her door shut, went to bed. And when her brothers came through the window, she sat up and she screamed the name of Jesus. And they, weirdly, they climbed back out the window and they left and they never came back. Jesus fought for Sherry. Jesus fought for her. I don't think we understand. The Lord is jealous for you. He's absolutely jealous for you. The Lord loves you so, 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 so much. And that's what the Christmas story tells us. It's exactly what it tells us. God is a father full of burning passion and desire for his children. Burning passion and desire. Willing even to the point of entering our world in vulnerability himself, taking on the shame of our sin and dying in order to conquer its power over our lives. He's not the cosmic killjoy. He frees us. When you see the picture of the goats in Leviticus, understand that it was it, the sin being paid for is Israel's sin, their sin, his bride's sin, right? His children's sin. And Scripture teaches that we're all full of sin. It's just a fact. That's it, right? If we deny it, the truth isn't in us. Be honest about it. I need Jesus, right? One difference in this story, in Joseph and Mary's story, is that Mary had done nothing wrong. So, and as a result, Joseph reflects Jesus in that his shame was unfounded. He took on shame he didn't, it wasn't his. Jesus took on our sin, right? Although he was totally and absolutely 100%, 120% innocent. Even the two criminals crucified on either side of him knew that. They said it. As Christ's bride, right, we are like Israel in need of a priest to take our true shame and and our true sin away. A sacrifice 
a scapegoat. We need that. We've succumbed to sin, right? We cheat on our holy spouse. And despite it all, he still loves us, still forgives us. And he still takes our true shame upon himself and he crucifies it on the cross, dying in our place. Here's a very important fact. And I want you to listen to this very, very carefully. We are undeserving of grace. We do not deserve God's grace. Absolutely, 100%. We do not deserve it. But we are worthy of it. Now, didn't that sound strange? It sounds very strange to say that. We are absolutely undeserving of God's grace, but we are 110% worthy of it. Why? Because worthiness is defined by who owns the object and how much they're willing to pay for it right? God created us. He owns us. Body and soul, He created me. And He owns me. Whether or not I admit that or not, He does. And Christmas reveals how far He's willing to go to pay for us, which gives me my worth. You have a jealous God. You have a jealous God. You've been kidnapped so to speak, in this world, right? And he's willing to pay the ransom to get you back no matter how high the cost. Joseph found peace in his calling, right? He didn't have to forgive Mary. He didn't have to do that. And she did nothing wrong. But he did choose to walk with her in shame throughout the rest of his life. We are the bride of Christ, He's our groom who goes even farther than Joseph by forgiving his adulterous bride and taking on her shame. A God who fights for you, even when you don't see it. Even when you don't see it. And all you need to do is be still and receive it. Just receive it. Ah, sorry. Kids don't do anything to be loved. They don't, do they? They just receive it. Right, Mom? You know that. I mean, they could be the most evil little monsters and we still love them, right? They don't do anything. They just accept it. They just receive it. They realize the sacrifices being made for them at some level, but they will never fully understand the extent to which a parent has gone for them. Does my kid, do my kids see everything that I do for them in the background? No, not at all. Not even close. We have in our church right now a family who's adopted three children. Uh, kids that were taken in only because they said you're worthy of love. Only, that's the only reason. You're worthy. You're worthy of love. Those kids, too, can't fully understand all that their adoptive mom and dad have paid to redeem their lives. They can't understand that. And God goes to even greater lengths still in the story of Christmas for all of us. Joseph reflects this same God in the sense, you know, who's sometimes silent, sometimes seems very silent to us but who is always protecting and leading us in the story of redemption, 
right? Who loves us to take on our shame, although it's not his to take on. Who walks with us through adversity and loss and pain, even when we don't understand it. A father who goes to any length to lead and to protect his family. If you've not said yes to Jesus yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. I really don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. And I'm not a dork. I'm not unintelligent. Being a person of faith is not stupid. It's not old. It's not outdated. This is the real story. This is the Christmas story. This is truth. If you haven't said yes to Jesus yet, Say yes and find peace in adversity. Find release from your shame. Find the protection and love of a heavenly father. That's what we all need. Scripture says that all you have to do, all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. If you want to do that right now, say that to the Lord in your heart. Jesus, I want you. I want to be your adopted child. Take me in today, right now. And then come tell me about it. Because I want to give you some stuff to get you started on that journey. Okay? For the rest of us who walked this for a while, I hope that Christmas doesn't become rote. I hope that it doesn't become just the same old, like, like Jen was saying, like the same old, same old. Right? Just Christmas shopping, blah, 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 and trees and lights and all that stuff. All that stuff's fun, but it can become rote. I, I hope this serves to remind you of what Christ has done for you. What God has done for you and is doing for you even now, even when you don't see it. Although you may not recognize the totality of his sacrifice ever, at least we scratch the surface a little bit deeper, Okay? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves to such lengths, uh, so deeply, so strongly. Uh, I just, I'm centered on how you came. You, you incarnated yourself into this world. It says something about our bodies. It says something about who we are and what we are. It says something about the deep and the depth of the relationship that we can have with you. It says a lot about creation. There's so much that we don't know. We think we know so much. (laughs) We think we're so smart. Father, forgive us our pride and let us settle in and just receive your love as a child today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just pass them back. Don't feel obligated to put anything in there.